one of the things that most people miss when it comes to uh, this code email stuff is they focus a lot on the writing and obviously you should write, but having a strategic think about the higher level uh, before we even start writing a single word is probably the most important piece. So looking at what is our sales process? What do we help people with? How do we want, want people to feel as they read through these emails? And if you think through that, the rest of it actually becomes a little bit more simple in terms of writing it. Are you seeking a better way to accelerate your sales, to scale your business, to live a life with no limits? Accelerate Sales Podcast features global experts who have cracked the code to recurring revenues with proven sales systems and get you on the fast track to scaling. Now let's accelerate your sales with today's episode. Welcome to the Accelerate Sales Podcast. In this amazing podcast, you're going to learn three key things. One is why you should be combining both cold email and social selling to accelerate your sales. The second is the insider tips on how you nail cold email. And some of these things I've never heard before, so please listen on. And the last one is why you should not be using your own domain when doing cold email. So as I said, welcome. And if it's your first time and you love what you hear or see, please subscribe. If you're a regular, really appreciate those reviews. Now, I know you're going to take notes, right? Everyone takes notes unless you're on a bike, driving a car, et cetera. Don't recommend that. But we will have a summary of the keynotes and you can also get a full transcription by going to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. I myself take lots of notes, so you'll see me look down. It's not because I'm uh, not interested in what Will says. It's because I'm so interested. I'm jotting it down to make those notes so right for you. So I'd like to thank a couple of sponsors before we go into this. And the first one is the Cloud Consultants Collective. It's a free Slack group for cloud consultants where peers help each other. It's as simple as that. It's multi-platform. You can find out more at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash CCC. And the other one is LeadJet. It's an amazing tool that takes all the manual work out of LinkedIn to your sales CRM. So just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash lead jet, and we'll have all of those in the links. So Will is the founder of Growth Labs, so that's L-A-B-Z, and he specializes in helping B2B businesses get qualified leads to find their dream clients. Don't we all need more of those? Will's a copywriter, and he's brilliant at it, and he regularly uh, has campaigns that get 75% open rates and 25% reply rates. And you'll see exactly why when he gives so much value in this interview. So what I'll do now is hand you over to Will Wang from Growth Labs. Great to have you here, Will. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Excited to, to be talking to you. Yeah, well, I, I feel like I, I listen to you, you know, most weeks uh, through other podcasts, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But for people that haven't heard your geniuses yet, now just tell us uh, who do you love to work with and what sort of problems you love to help solve? Thanks, Paul. Uh, first of all, you're very kind. <laughs> uh, the type of businesses that we work with, um, a lot of them, or most of them, I should say, they're in the B2B space. So there's software companies, financial services, fintech, um, or just a lot of you know fast-moving, fast-growing tech companies that want to sell to other businesses, be it selling to SMEs or enterprise uh, we really do specialize a lot in that B2B side of things. Yeah, perfect. And, and what are some of the problems that they, they have? Well, I think there's different levels of problems. And 
you know, obviously with some of these companies, as they're growing really, really quick, one of the big operational problems they have is delivery, right? So it's always that balance of can we outmarket, outsell, and, you know, get in front of our, our, our competitors' customers. But on the other hand, it's like, how do we keep up with it? So I think these companies are great because they've got a lot of funding sometimes, or they've got an exciting product that people just gravitate towards. But then it's like, how do we match the marketing, which is obviously super important with the sales, which obviously if you're marketing and you're not converting, that's a bit of an issue, but also with delivery as well and making sure that all the leads and customers coming through are actually generating more leads and more customers rather than burning them out and not delivering on the service and you know burning out the staff. So it's kind of multifaceted. Um, and I know that we're here to talk about sales. So obviously we can dive into that, but um, at the same time, it's like I get to see some pretty cool businesses behind the scenes. And sometimes you think that sales and marketing be the problem, but it's actually not. It's, it's the actual delivery on it too. So um, some interesting problems, I, I I should say, across the board. Yeah, and look, I, th- I think that, you know, it's so common at the moment. Like even if you drive past, you know, we both live in Australia and Sydney and I hope that, you know, you're okay with the, the amount of water you've had uh, of late. But, um, you know, you drive past the store these days, it's very rarely promoting itself. It's always asking for staff, right? You know, COVID, mm. the shortage of uh, international uh, people that have come in, you know, it's really created an issue. But I think also across the industry, as you said, it's like, you know, I, th- I think, you know, at the moment, it's definitely um, a lack of, of of good quality staff, and you know, certainly in the US, where you and I both serve, the prices have gone uh, you know, nearly doubled for for some of the jobs, mm. as people are telling me. But but I do think, you know, it will swing back the other way. So yeah, I, I mm. think it's a real real pain point. And and how just on the customers that you are working with at the moment, how have some of your customers creatively come around to solve that an initial uh, or the current pain point with uh, particularly with the pandemic and COVID. Mm. So Paul, I think I really like his answer. Um, some of the customers we deal with, we flip the problem around, right? Because a lot of these companies think, oh, it's a staffing issue. It's a recruitment issue. But if you flip it around and look at it as more of a sales issue, because recruiting and bringing people on board and operations, it's almost the flip side of sales, right? With marketing and sales, we're going out to market and bring other people in. Whereas recruitment and hiring, we're kind of doing the same thing, but just selling people on the idea of joining our company over our competitors. So one of the things that we've actively looked at with some of our clients at the moment is flipping that funnel around and saying, well, we run ads on LinkedIn, for example, to track leads and customers. Why wouldn't we have a funnel or inbound recruitment funnel that brings good people into the business. Then obviously it then comes back to the hiring manager and the HR team on how well they can sell the vision, on how well they can sell the excitement of the company and sell the mission and value pieces as well. So doing that's helped a little bit, but obviously you know you can't outmarket the market, right? So there's still obviously less people coming through, higher demand. But like for like, if you can sell the vision a little bit better and you know, sell the idea of working for for your company, it's, you're going to be a little bit better off than everyone else in the market. Yeah, great point. And I think also you know, some of the ways that we've worked with clients is the upstream effect. Like if you get better quality clients, they're particularly, mm. or normally there's not as many hiccups that go smoother, et cetera, et cetera, right? So therefore you don't need as many staff. So it doesn't always work that way, but I think, you know, the better quality of you do at the front end, obviously that's going to make it easier at the, the back end. Mm. So we're seeing some of that as well. But I know you um, do a lot on cold email. Before we went to air, you said, you know, maybe it's a 90-10 on helping these B2B companies you know, bring in more leads through 
uh, email versus say LinkedIn. And you know, I'm the opposite. You know, I've been probably 90% LinkedIn, 10% email. So why don't we just start with you know myself and you know other people listening right now are, are mainly cloud consultants. They're selling B2B. They're selling large tech into SMB as an example. Uh, what are we what are we missing out on by not doing cold email? Yeah, I think. I think I've, yeah, first of all, I'll say that they're not mutually exclusive, right? Um, just because you're doing code email doesn't mean you can't do LinkedIn and vice versa. So the reason why we choose code email over LinkedIn is more of a matter of scale. So LinkedIn used to be a great platform. We used to be about 60, 40 code emails in LinkedIn. So we used to be heavily on LinkedIn as well, helping our clients automate their processes and generate leads from that. But LinkedIn are becoming more and more restrictive because obviously with more people spamming the platform, sending really bad connection requests, spamming messages after you connect, people start dropping off the platform, right? The, the quality of leads and connections become lower quality. And that's a really bad thing for LinkedIn as a platform because what that means is people get annoyed and they don't use the platform as much. And then they've got less eyeballs and less eyeballs means less advertisers and less revenue and you know less people paying for the, for the higher end um, packages on LinkedIn. So they've kind of done the right thing by its users, uh, by restricting the amount of connections you can have and messages and being very strict on the quality now, which I actually think is a really, really great thing. Uh, that being said, though, some of the clients that we work with, you know, they've got sales teams of 10, 20, 30 people, or even more sometimes. And so if you restrict what you can do on the profile itself, the power then isn't that we can control and automate the process for our clients, and so we can help them do it themselves which means we can step back and look at what we can scout, which is which is cold email. Right. So that's the reasoning behind it. It's not to say LinkedIn doesn't work. It does, but it it's very limited in terms of how you scale. Um, and, you know, it's a lot more content driven at the moment. You've got to have good content, good connections, um, be on the platform itself, looking at what your leads and what your contacts are saying and then interacting with them that way. So it is a little bit more organic. It, it is a little bit more relationship driven, which I think is actually a good thing. Uh, but in terms of scaling though and consistent leads, it's dropped a fair bit in terms of how we look at it as a platform or a channel. Yeah. And, and look, you know, for, for us, we, well, um, 2019, I sort of had uh, a transplant. It was time to grow the business again. And, uh, you know, I, I doubled down on LinkedIn and it was amazing. Like I could do a post and get, you know, five clients. Mm. It was, it was incredible. <laughs> and, uh, obviously that now organic it's there, but it's nothing like it was back in, you know, 1920. Uh, and also with outreach, yeah. like you said, you could, you know, now it's hundred limit, et cetera. So I am finding it a bit tighter. Um, so, uh, you know, and and I also do think that you know, like myself, right? I'm lucky. I've got a team that effectively do all my inbox, my email, and mm. also my LinkedIn. So I don't see any of the spam, right? But I know there's plenty of it. Mm. It's unfortunate, but that is the nature of the beast. And but what I'm finding now is that LinkedIn for us is more of the like, know, and trust you, where people actually research you more once they've found you, right? Rather than first finding you there. So that's what we're sort of, well, certainly for me, that's what I'm finding. Are you finding a similar trend where it's more as a research tool than a, than a first point of, um, of contact or a, uh, an exploratory or, you know, like, you know, the first part of someone finding you? Yeah, definitely. So I think if you look at it at three stages, right, of, of a customer's buying journey, first is awareness and then there's consideration and then there's conversion. LinkedIn for me has really dropped, um, it's affecting this at the awareness stage, whereas it used to be pretty effective in terms of awareness. Nowadays for me, LinkedIn is really about the second two stages, right? It's about 
Um, can I give you content that's going to engage with you? Can I give you information and value and have a conversation? And you know, if they're going to be doing research, the reason why I put my LinkedIn profile first and foremost in terms of a lot of the lead generation stuff we do is because of the fact that you know we've I've got connections, I've got articles, I've got recommendations. That's what I really use it for, rather than as the top of funnel, you know, awareness piece. Yeah, spot on. Great. Well. Uh... You're you're a guy that does it every day for lots of great companies. So I'm glad that you know you're seeing similar trends. So talking about cold email, right? So you know what are some of the things that you know about cold email that you sadly see a lot of us miss? Yeah, I think the the, the biggest thing from my point of view in terms of cold email is the way you approach it. And what I mean by that is. Um, if you think about a traditional, or not traditional, but you know, one of the marketing funnels that people talk about, where it's like you've got to bring people in, raise the awareness, nurture them, go through all of that kind of stuff. A lot of people with cold email for some reason think that they can jump straight to the sales process, right? Jump into the sales conversation, where it's like, hey, you don't know me from bar of soap, but give me half an hour of your time. And if you go into a CEO or you know a, a team leader or someone who's who's in a in a busy role half an hour of time is actually very, very valuable. Like if someone approached me that's for half an hour, I would rather pay to not have to spend the half an hour than to waste that time on something that may or may not be relevant to me. Um, so a lot of people jump in too early, too, not too early, but with too big of an ask too soon. And they also don't verify that the message is even relevant for you know, people to, for you to be speaking about. Um, so the way that I look at cold email is it's really a permission play. It's a permission marketing play. So we cold email people to start a relationship and to ask their permission to market to them and to give them more information later on in the process rather than going straight for like a 45-minute or a one-hour meeting. Yes. Yeah. And, and look, personally in our funnel, we've uh, changed our funnel now from what used to be to a call now to a community play, right? And, you know, that's where I can add value. And then we use a nurture sequence once people are in the community to further, and that's called the Cloud uh, Consultants Collective, and it's a free Slack group, but we found that that is a much mm-hmm. better way rather than jumping straight to, hey, call, can I sell? Because no matter, even if you are, in my in my mind, like I genuinely want to help people, I know you do that. I've listened to you on uh, James Tramco's Superfast Business Podcast to know enough that you're, you're a real giver and uh, a giver of value and content, but not everyone, you know, as soon as someone says, I want to call with you, what do most people think? Right? What are you thinking as you're listening to this? You're thinking, oh, here we go, another sales pitch, right? So, um, yeah, I do think that, you know, having those steps and having that permission is is great. And like I said, a community's worked well for us. But what about subject lines? Like I know that, you know, this is something that I'll look at my, my, my screen, I'll look at my keyboard and, you know, I'll test so many different things. What, what have you found to work well as a subject, uh, yeah, a, a headline or a subject line in an email? Yeah, I, I knew this question would be coming for. <laughs> it's one of the questions I get asked the most often when it comes to writing cold emails. I'll, I'll give you an answer, which, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt, obviously, because every client of ours is different. Every campaign is very different. So it's obviously what's, you know, tested for yourself. But for me, when I look at subject line, I've sent enough cold emails to know that it almost kind of doesn't even matter. Like I know that a lot of people are like, oh, you know, how do we squeak out? But the best subject lines I've written versus the worst subject lines, yes, they have an impact on the campaign, but it's not as big of an impact as you think it it, it has, especially when you spread the campaign over, you know, five or six different emails because 
you, you can get five or six different subject lines that you test across a sequence. So what you then do is, okay, I've got five or six subject lines. This one open at 30%. This one open at 50%. Well, in future, I know this one worked better. So let me just go do more of this type. So it, when you first start a campaign, it almost doesn't really matter where you start in terms of the subject line, but just try some different things because you never know how the market's going to react. Yeah, look, I think that's great advice. And for me, I tend to keep it shorter because I think these days, or certainly for me, this is a you know a survey of one, I spend less time on the subject than I do the first sentence. So mm. you know how you said the subject line really matters less. What about that first sentence? Like if you've got any tips for us on that first line, the people on there, you know, normally you're on your mobile phone, you're on your Gmail app and, you know, you see the subject line, but you sort of go to the first sentence. What, any tips on that one? Yeah, the first sub, uh, first sentence is probably, and you're right, the most important part of the email because it's what captivates, engages, and it gives people a sense of what this email is going to be about. So a couple of tips here is, one, don't do the standard thing where it's like, hope you had a good day, hope this email finds you well. It's like, you don't know them, right? It's, it's, it's always a bit like, well why are you hoping I've got a good day? We don't know each other. It's a little bit weird. I personally like to start with either addressing the value up front or going with some kind of curiosity play where I ask them a question or, or you know, trying to start a conversation or a dialogue with them where I'm asking for their opinion or I'm asking if this would be relevant for them or you know, I'm trying to engage them in a conversation. And again, that flows throughout the entire email itself. I ask a lot of questions in my email rather than trying to push statements or benefits or you know, a sales message down people's throats. Um, and that starts from the very first sentence. And, and about that with questions, I know that I was always taught, you know, one question per email, right? Or one mm. message or one question per question because you got, uh, sorry, a LinkedIn message, you got more chance of people coming back to you. When you say multiple, is it multiple in the same email or is it multiple in the, in the sequence of emails? Again, it really depends on the market. Um, I've had emails where I've put five questions in there um, in a very, very strategic manner, and the emails have worked really, really well. Um, it, that one, like with that, it does depend on your level of nuance when you write the emails, your understanding of the market, of the strategy itself, of the copy. Uh, that's very important. If you're just writing, if you know, if it's your first time around writing cold email, don't put five questions in there because as a general rule, that's going to confuse a lot of people. Uh, but if you've been doing it for a little while or you've got a, a defined flow of how you want people to read it and the emotions you want people to, to think about as they go through it, that's when it kind of works really, really well. Um, but in general, you know, have two or three, maybe. Um, don't go more than that because then you might confuse the message for yourself. But at the same time, um, it really does depend on how you structure the entire campaign. I think one of the things that most people miss when it comes to uh, this code email stuff is they focus a lot on the writing and obviously, obviously you should write, um, but having a strategic think about the higher level uh, before we even start writing a single word is probably the most important piece. So looking at what is our sales process? What do we help people with? How do we want, want people to feel as they read through these emails? And what's the reaction both physically, um, emotionally, and I'll put it out there, like spiritually, although in B2B context, it's not as relevant, but how do you want people to feel you know, physically and emotionally when they read this email? And if you think through that, the rest of it actually becomes a little bit more simple in terms of writing it. Right. And and look, you know, I'll I'll put out to everyone, you're probably, you know, looking at me, yes, I'm 52 or actually no, I'm 51, approaching 52, right? And uh, I've got lots of dad jokes. So my humor is not great, right? <laughs> but I think I'm funny. Where does humor play a role in all these cold emails? Should you use it? Shouldn't you use it? It depends. Like, what's your view on that? 
Mate, I'm, I'm a dad of two and I've got dad jokes <laughs> for days. <laughs> I tell you, it, <laughs> it also depends um, on you know, the business and, and who you go out to. So for example, for ourselves, for our own cold emails, I push the boundaries so hard. When you get an email from, if I'm prospecting and you get an email from me, it's almost like, it's you know it's almost a bit of a shock to people because it's it's obviously Kodima, but it's so different, written so differently that even if people aren't in the in the market for my services, I'll get a reply saying, "Look, it's not for us. We don't need another market agency." But I just wanted to reply. And by the way, I never replied to cold emails, but I needed to reply to let you know how funny your emails are and that you've cut through. Like that's you know those are the type of responses I get for myself because I push the boundaries so far that people either love or they hate it, but I always get some kind of reaction. Now, obviously, if you're selling into corporates or you know, if you are from a corporate company looking to do this for yourself, you can't quite push it as far as I do, but you can still be human, right? You can still talk as if you're talking to someone across from the table. You don't need to say, dear sir, madam, or have you know, $10,000 $10, words. Like, Keep it simple. Keep it straightforward. The person reading the email on the other side of the screen is, is a human being. So talk to them like one, not like a, you know, you're not talking to a suit, you're talking to a person. Yeah, look, we've recently had lots of success with uh, gifts, uh, especially in LinkedIn email campaigns or, or LinkedIn messages, I should say. So I've got one where, you know, to be, dorky but you know it's a wave back you know thank you and it's always we use a platform called hyperize which you know puts their name in it etc and then we've got a couple of other ones and i I get like you said i get lots of comments back on on those have you found that they work or don't work within cold email uh in cold emails it's a bit different because Um, our one of the key metrics we measure with code email is email deliverability. So for every thousand emails we send, how many of them actually land in someone's inbox, right? Not spam, not promotion, it's just the inbox itself. And typically the more links and the more images you have um, on, on emails, and don't even talk about attachments, like never attach anything to code email, uh, but the more links and images you have, it kind of decreases the chance of the emails landing in inboxes. That being said, we do actually send emails with you know links and, and and gifts and images and things like that at, at a certain point in the sequence itself because by that point well if you haven't got a reply by the third or fourth email why not try and push the boundaries a little bit so um i personally love it i i i definitely send gifts a lot in both warm and cold emails um, so for example one email i've got is when i've got an appointment but someone doesn't show up i've got a certain gift of spongebob um and a certain message behind it and um, I'll go to my team and I'll say, hey, I've just had a no-show, deploy SpongeBob. And I'll know exactly what email I'm talking about. It's pretty funny. And people generally come back and go, oh, this is pretty funny. Hey, I'm really sorry. Let, let's reschedule. Um, so I'm personally a big fan, but use in the right context, of course. Yeah, great. And and you talked there about, you know, the deliverability. I've heard two views. It's a bit like Apple and mm. uh, and PC. You know, some people say to have a different domain. Some people say send it through yours. What What's your experience on that? Yeah, 100% send it for a different domain. Um, the reason why I say that, and especially if you're just getting going with cold emails or if you haven't done it for a while and, um, you know, or, or even if you're trying a new campaign, if anything goes wrong and you get marked as spam in a lot of inboxes, it can really affect your primary domain. So then when you do send things like invoices or important emails and things like that, that starts going to spam. So we just... I don't think it's worth the risk of, of doing that. Even if emails are epic and you know amazing, yes. why run the risk? It's like a $10 domain that you can buy separately. Just, just hedge your bets, right? Insure yourself with a $10 or $20 domain and, and do it that way. 
Yeah, so so for me, you know, my domain's paulhigginsmentoring.com. It's funny, the guy that owns paulhiggins.com lives mm. in a suburb next to me. He's got his <laughs> mobile name listed, uh, number listed, but I can't get through to him. I'm like, come on, and he's never, ever used it. But anyway, <laughs> that aside, so paulhigginsmentoring.com, you know, what's an example of something that I might use uh, rather than paulhigginsmentoring.com? Well, the easiest one is to buy the .net. So .net.io. Um, come up with, you know, they're very similar but different names. So, for example, you can buy a domain, thepoorhiggins.com. Um, that could work, things like that. And obviously, you know, forward that domain so that if people actually search you up on that domain you've sent emails from, you forward to your primary or your normal domain. Um, but, yeah, it's always a good idea to have that as, a, as an insurance policy. Right. And, and what about checking, you know, your deliverability, like, you know, often I say to my team, like, you know, how do I know that it's going into spam, et cetera, you know, from a, you know, I use, um, you know, Google as, as my key uh, domain platform, right? Um, you yep. know, what's the best ways to, to find that? Yeah, so one of the tools that, that I use to check both that we're not flagged on any servers and also that the messaging is good is, a, uh, is it's a free website, I believe, mail-tester.com. Dot com so m a i l dash tester com I believe it is the domain could have changed to so just Google it but there's plenty of services out there where you send them an email from your your software uh, with the actual email sequence and it will give you back a score based on the wording you know what it's found in the email itself um, how your reputational dom- um, you know how you send the reputation is it will give you a score out of a hundred and if you're above eighty or so hey, you should be good. Um, if it's below 80, it'll tell you why and where the issues are coming from. So then you'll go and fix it before sending some more emails. Right. And, and just quickly on the, so I use a sales program. I use Copper. We used to sell it until we sold it to um, a Google partner. Yeah. But, um, you know, what happens there? Like um, it's a different domain, et cetera. You know, do I use a different sales CRM? I know that I think you guys use, you know, a different tool. Yeah. How do you sort of do the logistics of, of that? Yeah, so typically, um, because we are building lists from scratch, and we can go into that in more detail later on about list quality, because we build lists from scratch, but we get pretty big lists for all of our clients, we don't integrate the list that we build into their CRM system. Because at, at that point in time, before we send the emails, we don't know if they're actually a legitimate lead or not. Uh, for me, it's just a contact. So we integrate the leads coming back who say, yeah, I'm interested in hearing what you have to say that those leads get passed through to CRM systems and you know, HubSpot or Salesforce and things like that. But the contacts that don't reply always stay on a separate system just to keep it clean. And um, I know uh, uh, Perry, who's a, a friend of ours through you know, uh, Superfast Business with James, mm-hmm. I mentioned the, uh, a tool called uh, QuickMail. So how would I use something like QuickMail? Where does that come into the equation? Yeah, so QuickMail is, is amazing, actually. So um, Actually, I've become good friends with, with the founder of Crickmouse. So Jeremy, a big shout out to him. Um, he was an engineer by trade who used to, who used to send cold emails to verify software ideas and, and ideas for himself and got so good at it, he just thought, look, I'm just going to build a software piece just for cold emailing, which is which is, which is is going to work better for me. So um, quickmail.io is, is the software. Um, it, it How it works is it's an automated process of... Um, where we load the list of contacts we like to reach out to and we load an email sequence with merge tags in them. So what merge tags are is, for example, if I put a code into my emails where it's 
know, squiggly lines and name, it actually goes to the list that I've uploaded into QuickMail and pulls the name into the email and customizes each and every single email that goes out from the system. Um, the reason why I like QuickMail a lot is because it's got that functionality. So it makes it you know easier for us to send. Um, it's also really good because as soon as someone replies or clicks unsubscribe, QuickMail stops emailing the rest of the sequence. So you can imagine how annoying it is if you replied yes to somebody and they just keep sending you emails afterwards, um, which is, you know, it, it's actually going to be really bad for your reputation, even with leads to say yes or positive leads. So QuickMail kind of takes care of all of that for us. And then on, on the flip side as well, it's got some really good reporting. So we know what our open rates are, what our reply rates are, and we can optimize and test new emails and messaging going forward. Right. And, and you talked about list quality and, you know, um, so for me, you know, like I said, I got, I don't know, 16,000 followers on LinkedIn, mm. but I'm after cloud consultants, but, you know, not all of those 16,000 are. We do, you know, some outreach with sales navigator, et cetera, but where would I start with finding a, a list for those type of, of clients? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it, it depends because LinkedIn for me is always a really great source of leads. Uh, we use sales navigator just to see who's in the market. And then we've got an in-house process we've developed to you know, take their details, um, plug it through our, our processes that include four or five different systems. And at the end, we get an email that's spit out of the processes, which is either verified or it's not. So we know if it's a working email or it's not. Um, for someone who's doing this on a smaller scale, I would definitely start with LinkedIn. I think Sales Nav is, is brilliant for, for that kind of thing, such a good database. Uh, but there's also things like you know, association websites. Um, there's also things like just a simple Google search that always works. Um, and just looking at events, right? Who's going to events in, in my industry? Uh, there's so many different sources of, of information out there that is just, you know, it, it, that's become such an easy part of the process, finding who we should be talking to. Um, obviously, you know, there's work that has to be done to clean the emails, but knowing who to talk to is the very first place to start. And that should be pretty easy. Yeah. And, and the elephant in the room normally is, you know, when, if I haven't had a reply, Right. So you talked about, you know, multiple messages, but just give me a bit mm. of an insight into once again, I know that there's, you know, it's a piece of string, right? No exact. It's not like here, everyone's doing the same thing, but roughly, you know, how often or if they haven't replied, how fast should you space them? How many messages should you send? Love to get a bit of your genius on that. Yeah. So there's a framework that I, I use, um, and we talk about internally with my team, and it's called the MUM framework. Um, M-O-M, um, sense of MUM knows, knows best. But what it, what it is, is we look at market offer marketing. So first of all, am I talking to the right people? Because sometimes you might have a great email campaign, but you're sending it to really junky email addresses, you know, info at, contact that. Or you might even be going to a, a target market that, can't or won't buy from you, right? Or they're just not receptive to, to reading emails. So that's the very first thing to look at. Like, is this even a good market to be emailing into? Uh, after we establish it is and, you know, proving, proving it to ourselves, the next thing is what is the offer? Or, you know, to, to flip it on its head, what are we asking for? Are we asking for them to say yes to, to getting a lead magnet, right? Or to getting some information from us? Are we expecting them to say yes to a half an hour phone call? Like, what is the actual offer that we're not getting responses for? And only after we look at those two do we then look at, well, is it my open rates? Like, is it, have I got the wrong um, open rate? People aren't reading it. Um, have I, is my message too long, too short, not relevant enough? So th that's kind of the, the order of magnitude that I work back from. If you have the right people, typically 
we know it's a, it should be an okay campaign. Obviously, the offer you can tailor as well. You know, what are you offering in exchange for them to say yes? Is it like a value piece? Do they even care about the problem you're trying to solve? And then at, only at the very end, once you've established those two things, then do we worry about subject line, copy, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. Brilliant. Well, look, we'll, we'll have to have you back because I've still got so many questions on my page, but I am cognizant of you listening, you know, promise around 30 minutes. Uh, I listen to two and a half times speed, so it's a bit shorter, but uh, whatever speed you listen to, we'll have to get Will back. But are you ready for some uh, quick sales deep dive questions, Will? Let's do it. All right, great. So the first is, you know, what other than um, QuickMail, what's a piece of technology which is essential for you to generate more sales? Oh, good question. Um <laughs> I'm going to cheat if this is okay. Um, yeah. One is one is obviously a CRM system. So we use ActiveCampaign as our CRM, um, more to set ourselves reminders and things like that to put down details about leads. We're probably not great at using it to its full capacity, but but it is what it is. Um, the second one, which is actually super simple, is pen and paper. Um, so every time I write anything, put together a campaign, do any type of marketing or lead gen, I always write it out on pen and paper first. Um, and that, you know, the thinking that you get behind it is going to pay itself off in spades. So uh, you can't see it right now, but I've actually got two desks in my office. One is just for writing, literally nothing on except pen and paper. And I'm really on my computer. I'm literally writing most of the time. So that's probably my number one tool. And then the CRM, you know, by far second. Brilliant. And other than writing, as you just talked about, what are some daily sales habits that you do to help you accelerate sales? So it also depends on where we are in terms of our pipeline. So for example, I've we've been pretty lucky over the past couple of years where my pipeline has been pretty good on some of the, and I know you're going to ask me about lead generation, but our pipeline has been pretty good over the past couple of years. So we haven't had to do any intensive lead generation. Um, if I was though, I think, you know, definitely emailing and setting a time every single morning as the first thing you do to send a personalized message to 10 or 20 people in your market, that'll be the number one advice I, I've got, right? Eat that frog, eat it early. Before you do anything else in your day, make contact, offer your help, give value, and just talk to people in your market. Yeah, brilliant advice. And uh, yeah, that question that you alluded to. So, you know, what's the best source of leads for your business? So for us personally, it's a mix of two things. Uh, one is we get so many internal referrals. So um, my goal or my tagline for my company has always been, we don't want to be the biggest, we just want to be the best. And so we generally find that every client that comes on board with us you know, across a 12-month cycle would refer at least one and a half new clients. So that means that, um, you know, and if our goal, for example, is only to onboard two new clients every single month, that theoretically puts us at the upper limit of what we have to do with lead generation. So just focusing on our clients, making sure they get a good result and then making sure that they're happy to talk about the result is a massive lead generator for us. Uh, the second one is doing podcasts. So for example, <laughs> this one here, um, going on to Dame Shramko's podcast, which I've been you know on a few times now um, and a few other podcasts or events that I speak at, that's been a massive lead generator as well. Um, and we haven't had to do cold emails for us. So even though it's our bread and butter and we do do it sometimes to build partnerships and things like that, um, that'd be the third thing I do um, if, if I wanted to really ramp up the amount of leads that we're getting. The last question, which you've sort of covered it, but if you said to summarize one thing, so what's one action we can take to 10 times our sales? I would think consistency above all else. Eat that frog, eat it early. It doesn't matter if you don't have the perfect email. I'm a big believer in massive imperfect action. 
what you know take an hour at least every single day to just reach out to people and build relationships and the sales will follow yeah brilliant well look uh, you can find more about uh, will and you know, a couple of key ways. One is that he's going to read Kindley's uh, podcast and, it'll be, and it's called Marketing from the Trenches, but there's a lot of old gold there. I've been listening to it. So go back and do that. As he said, James Tramco's got a great podcast, Superfast Business, that Will appears on. So go and search on uh, the website and find Will. And thirdly, you can go to Growth Labs and it's instead of an S, it's a Z. So L-A-B-Z. Com, so Growth Labs, you can find out more and sign up to his newsletter because, you know, the humor, the way that he does it, you know, you, you'll make your choice and you'll put it in your own way. But I think, you know, by sampling Will's brilliant newsletter, you can, uh, you'll find out a lot more. And, uh, you know, if you are just doing LinkedIn and, and you're limited and you want to open up to, to cold email, certainly reach out to, to Will for some, uh, for some help at Will. Awesome having you on today. Uh, you've given lots of value. You filled my note sheet. That's the quality of uh, of the interview I normally look at is how much I've written down. I've written down lots, uh, lots of things that I'm going to go and implement and uh, can't wait to have you back on the show. I'll show you what I've done and also uh, have you back to, uh, to update us on a couple of other things. So, Will, uh, just great having you on and, and thanks for being a, an amazing guest. Thanks so much, Paul. Uh, thanks for having me on, mate. Hope you love that interview as much as I did. Will shared so much value just in the detail he went through his subject lines, the second sentence, the domain uh, validation, all of that was absolutely great. Like I said, I took plenty of notes, but the most important thing is actually taking action. And why don't you shout out to Will? Mention him on your social. Um, LinkedIn would be great. Will's on there. And just uh, say what you learned and uh, at mention him. He would uh, love that. And also, why don't you share it with others, your peers, et cetera? You know, they will think you're an absolute rock star by introducing some of these techniques that Will showed us today to them, which would be fantastic. And you can get a summary, as always, in the show notes at paulhigginsmentoring.com, and you can get a full transcript as well there. And why not check out our solo shows? Also, if you are a cloud consultant or you know people that are a cloud consultant and you know that they want to get some help from peers, just go to the Cloud Consultants Collective at paulhigginsmentoring.com ccc. And finally, please take action to accelerate your sales. I'm fired up after today's episode. What about you? But hey, before you go, learning is just one piece of the puzzle. Now it's time to put today's strategy into action. Head over now to today's show page at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast and share how you'll put it into action. Be sure to head over to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Tell me what your favorite episode is. And don't wait one minute more to gain access to your pulse check at paulhigginsmentoring.com. This could be the difference between struggling to get more leads and making this next quarter your best one yet.